You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Genesis chapter 4 says this in verse 1. One, starting at verse 1, it is the story of Cain and Abel. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Have I said that in my lifetime once or twice? (laughs) The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Heavenly Father, we pray that in these few minutes that we have together, you would speak to us. Save us from going to church, going through the motions and going back home the same. We wanna be transformed by the power of your presence and the combination of your spirit and your word colliding in our hearts. We've got faith to believe brings transformation for us. And so we pray that that will happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you applaud our amazing worship team as they are serving us so well today. We told you at the start of this series that we were going to get into some of the juicy stories in the Bible. And this is a classic juicy story about two brothers and a a disagreement, a conflict, a situation that arises. And if you've never heard it before, 
or you're not familiar with the Bible, or you don't read the Bible, let me tell you, there's even juicier stories than that in the Bible. The Bible is full of all the stuff that you're not allowed to watch on TV. It's all in the Bible. I used to say that when I was a youth pastor to our teenagers. Don't watch 18 films, it's not good for you. But most of it's just in the Bible anyway, so just read it. I wanna call this message, apart from balmy Bible stories, colon, Cain and Abel, hyphen, here's the title, how to be happy. How to be happy. I'm gonna tell you in the next 20 minutes how to be happy. Not many people excited about that. That's either because you're already happy. Give me a wave. Oh, okay, you can leave. I'm joking, don't go, don't go, don't go. People be logging off in their droves. It's either because you're already happy or you don't believe me. Choose today who you will serve of those two. How to be happy. When I was a child, my family and I, we were nerds. And while my mates at school in the summer holidays went on aeroplanes to European destinations, my family, we went hiking. We were the pot noodle family of the North. And we would don our rucksacks and our walking boots with dubbing applied. Oh yeah, professional, right? And we would walk 30 miles, stay in a youth hostel, get up the next day and walk another 30 miles and that was our summer come rain or shine. But there's one thing that I remember about climbing mountains or even just walking up hills is that you can see the summit in the distance and you set your heart on that being the final destination. You're like, we've been walking for hours and my dad's like, three minutes, Paul. But I could see the summit and it was amazing because we would make our way to the summit and we would play games and we would play army and would climb trees and I'm making fun of it, but it was absolutely brilliant growing up, just outside, no internet, no computer games, just like fun outside. But what was really annoying, and you'll have to tell me if you've experienced this, is when you get to the summit only to realize there's another summit. And it's like, Dad, you were tricking us. I thought we were at the top, but it was like, no matter how much we tried, we never got to the summit. And of course, eventually we did. But that feeling of thinking you'd made it only to discover that it was like a bit of an empty reality. Like it was a bit of something that like I put all my hope in and then I was disappointed. I reckon that's an epidemic in modern society. People think, if only, if only I had that, whatever it might be, fill in the blanks. I don't know what your that is, but there'll be something. And what happens is, is when you get it, anything other than Jesus is not the real summit. And so when you get there, you go, oh, there's another summit. There's a new model coming out. There's someone in the office that's got a better one than me. There's someone who's got their own private parking space. There's someone who's got five bedrooms in their house. We could go on, but happiness seems to be a lifelong pursuit. And just when we think we've got it, we realize we've not got it. 
You seem very encouraged by that. Four and a half thousand weeks. If you live to 86, and that could be generous, I don't know, but if you live to 86, you get four and a half thousand weeks. I turned 47 yesterday. That means, I don't know who you're applauding, but I'll take it. That means I am 54.3% through my four and a half thousand weeks. I have currently had 2,444 weeks. I'm past half time. We've gone in, we've had the team talk, we've had the orange segment, and we're back out on the pitch for the second half, hoping we can pull one back. We'd just be happy with any goal, wouldn't we, Joel? Like anything. Me and Joel are Evertonians. Everybody seems to be on the hustle, the grind, trying to find the quickest route possible to the top, to the most, to the best, as soon as they can. Whether it's money or fame or power or significance or meaning. If you look up happiness in the dictionary, it does not say anything about having or doing. Now, we're not basing our lives on the dictionary. We're basing our lives on the Word of God. But sometimes it just helps to make sure the words that you know in English, you actually know what they mean. And when you look up happiness in the dictionary, it says, delighted, pleased, or glad, as over a particular thing, but nothing specific. And then it says, characterized by, or indicative of pleasure, contentment, or joy. What people want is not another holiday. I know you're sat here on a rainy bank holiday weekend thinking, you're wrong, mate. I want to be back in Portugal. <laughs> what people want or need is not another car or a better phone or more pay in their pay packet. What they need is joy and contentment. And let me tell you, it can only come from one place. And that is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the answer to the question of how to be happy and then I'm going to try and persuade you that it's the right answer for the next 15 minutes and then those of us who are convinced we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus because we know that happiness doesn't come from out here, it comes from in here which is where the presence of God lives. But just give me 15 minutes to try and persuade you. See if we can get over 50% of the room on the page. See if we can get the online crew up and putting the brew down so we can lift up the name of Jesus. If you want to be happy, put God first. That's it. That was me dropping the mic, but I caught it because I didn't want to break it. <laughs> Vicky's like, oh, phew. If you want to be happy, put God first. Pastor Corey, who was our guest at our youth camp this summer, he preached it this way. Kingdom over everything. And his words have been echoing through my ears, through my heart and through my mind for the last, I don't know what, four weeks, Joel, four weeks since youth camp. And so I changed the wording, but I'm telling you the same message. If you want to be happy, put God first. 
Put God first. Write it in big letters in your journal. Put God first. Put a reminder on your phone so that when your alarm goes off, it doesn't say, get up, you lazy beggar. It says, put God first. Put an appointment in your diary for six weeks from now when you know that your faith could be at an all-time low and remind yourself the secret to happiness is quite simple, not easy, but quite simple, and it's to put God first. This story is a story of putting God first and seeing the fruit, the results, the consequences of doing so or not. Put God first. Solomon, arguably the wisest person that's ever lived, who had everything, I'm gonna need some water, bro. Who had everything, or sis, that's fine. Who had everything, and the book of Ecclesiastes is like a, it's like a chronology, it's like a journey, it's like a journal of him trying everything, and he loses his kind of like, will to live halfway through, but at the end of the book, this is how he summarizes, having spent everything, tasted everything, been everywhere, done everything, he says these words, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion, and this is what he says. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. In the message he puts it this way, fear God and do what he says. After trying everything, put God first. That's what he's saying. The first point that I'm sort of taking, because I'm trying to make sure we stay true to our, um, our brief, which is the Cain and Abel story. So if you're going to write some notes, maybe write this down. I'm sure you've written put God first. Here's another way of saying it, is bring God your best. Genesis 4, verse 3, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us it was no good. But it then goes on to say, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn. Now, I don't know about your Bible knowledge. It's probably on the same level as mine, which is pretty low. But I know from reading Scripture that there's something powerful and valuable. And let's face it, we know it from our lives of what comes first. It represents your best first. So if you want to be happy, put God first. If you want to know what that means in another way, is bring God your best. Abel had his excuses to not give God the best because he was the second born. If we go with my principle that first is best, he wasn't because Cain was born first and later his brother. And if you know anything about the Bible or sort of like the traditions of the children of Israel, it meant that the firstborn got everything in terms of inheritance and that was it. There was no backup plan for the second born or the third born. It was like, if you were first, you got the best. So Abel had every excuse to not put God first. He was like, well, there's no point anyway. Cain's gonna get it all. Cain's the man. Cain's the big brother. Cain's the guy that everyone knows about. Oh, who's this guy? Abel, never heard of him. Cain's brother. Oh yeah, Cain, what a lad. Legend, legend. Everyone knew Cain. Nobody knew Abel. And he had a perfect excuse. And let's face it. We've got plenty of excuses up our sleeve for not giving God the best. 
How many people in this room, and this is a, a metaphoric question, it's a rhetorical question, I don't expect you to answer it, although you can if you want, but maybe keep it in your heart. Quite simply, what's your excuse? What is your reason for not giving God the best? For some of us, it might be too young. Too young. I'll give God the best when I'm older. Let me tell you now a second reason, and this is, I'm telling all of those of you who think you're too young, the second reason is too old. It's another summit. When I'm older, when you're young, all you wanna be is older until you get old, and then all you wanna be is younger. There's a line, I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is, but like, I've definitely passed it, is what I'm saying. Maybe it's 40, maybe it's 30, I don't know. I'm too busy. That's my excuse. I'm too busy to put God first. I've got all this stuff going on. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Do you not know? I'm too tired. Gosh, it's tiring. Putting someone else first is tiring. Too weak. As in, you know, I'm not strong enough. It's just too hard to put God first. Here's another excuse. I'm too far gone. There's no point now. I've, like, I've done X, Y, and Z. Like, my card's marked. There's no point. Let me tell you this. If you want to be happy, despite your excuses, and let's be honest, we all have a handbag full of them. We've all got a bum bag full of them. We've all got a big old filing cabinet full of excuses. But if you want to be happy, despite your excuses, don't wait till you don't have any excuses because there is a never-ending line of excuses queuing up to fill your heart and mind so that you don't put God first because the enemy knows how powerful it is. Oh my gosh, when you put God first, when you put God first, I'm just making sure the cameramen are awake. I'm over here, lad. When you put God first, despite your excuses, that's where you find contentment. That's where you find joy. That's where you find peace. And you are indestructible. You are literally indestructible when you put God first. Apostle Paul said, for me to live is gain and to die. No, the other way. What is it, Pastor Stuart? You've been to Bible college. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, you can't touch me. MC Hammer, <laughs> can't touch this. I've been awake for a long time, guys, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 10, 39, we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith. We're people of faith. If you wanna be happy, put God first. But because the enemy knows how powerful it is and how indestructible you are and how unshakable you are when you put God first, there's a few things that he does, a few tricks that he plays, and I want you to write four don'ts. We've had one do, which is put God first, or bring him your best, but there's four don'ts. Number one, or two, if you're including the first one, just say what it is. Don't compare yourself to others. I know that sounds like really obvious and well, sort of like a well-trodden path, but the Bible says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Here's the lesson. Some people are shepherds, some people are farmers. You can't compare them. It's like comparing apples and oranges. They're not comparable. But something crept into the heart of Cain and he was looking at his best 
And instead of comparing it to what he could have given of all of his stuff and gone, is this my best? Oh no, there's something better here of mine that I want to give to God. No, 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 this is my first. No, no, he compared his best with Abel's best. And in a social media obsessed, airbrushed, blah, blah, blah that we live in, it is so easy to fall into the trap of comparing your life with other, others. Matthew 20, Jesus tells this amazing story. It's called, it's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I won't read it because it would take too long, but it's basically about a landowner and he goes to the market early in the morning and offers some workers a day's wages to work on his farm. Goes back around nine o'clock, once those guys are at it, sees some more people and says, oh, I'll pay you if you come and work for me. And so he takes them and he goes back at noon and he goes back at three and he goes back at five and all day people are coming and they're working and this, the parable ends with the payment moment. Everybody's queuing up for their wages and what happens is the people who were promised a denarius, like a, a specific amount of money, would have been and should have been grateful because that's what they were promised and that's what they got. No one, well, rarely does anyone say it's not fair when they've not got someone else to compare it with. It's not fair lives in the realm of comparison. You thought it was fair. You agreed to work for that. You were excited about working for that because this morning you had no work. That's why you were at the market. And someone came along and you got picked because not everyone did. And you're like, great, I'm going to take home some money. Hang on a minute. They've only worked since five o'clock. Surely that must mean I get this. It's a gratitude killer, isn't it? Comparison. It will kill your gratitude. And as you will see in five minutes time, it is the key. And that's why we're going to end with praise in five minutes. It is a key to not... Um, to. To, to putting God first and being happy is to not compare your life with others. If you want to be happy, put God first and don't give the devil a foothold. There's another one. The Bible says, Cain became angry and his face was downcast. It is so easy for us to get angry or bitter or disappointed or hurt or offended. There is no shortage of things that you could complain about because let's be honest, faith is not a ticket to a perfect or easy life. Well, everything starts with a thought. And what we do is we entertain the wrong thought and what we entertain over time stops being a guest and starts being part of the family. Anyone got one of those in their house? When they first were your mate, they took the shoes off at the door and you said, come in and we prepared a meal for you and you entertain them. But as you've gotten to know each other, they come in whenever they want. They go straight to the fridge. They take the shoes off no longer. In fact, when you're on holiday, they've still got a key and you can see them on the ring doorbell. Just going in. Borrowing your lawnmower, I hope you don't mind. What you entertain for long enough becomes a permanent fixture. You can't help what you think. You can't help the thoughts that come into your mind. If something's hurtful or painful or offensive or, or, or makes you angry or makes you stressed, you can't help that thought, but you can't help what thought you entertain. The Bible puts it this way in Philippians, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. 
We were in Ukraine 48 hours ago. Me, Pastor Lee Brown, our Chester campus pastor, and a good friend of our church. His name's Pastor Paul Hollingworth from Lifehouse Church in Chesterfield. I think we've got some pictures actually coming up on screen of the, this is Pastor Valeri on the right and his beautiful wife, uh, Tatiana. These guys are leading an amazing church in Ukraine. It's just amazing what God is doing in the middle of chaos. There's another shot, I think, of Lee doing a selfie with all the leaders there. And we spent a few days training them. Get this, right? Get this. I felt God challenged me to lead those leaders in the prayer of forgiveness. This is something we do in our church quite a lot. We do a freedom day. We do sessions about living free. And part of that is we talk about the power or the, uh, the devastating power of unforgiveness. and About how when you don't forgive someone, it's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. We go through all of that stuff. But I just felt like, oh, I don't know if we should do that in Ukraine now. Like that's, that's a big ask but I felt God wanted me to do it and I checked with Pastor Valeri and Tatiana and some of the other leaders. I said, look, I think this is what God wants us to do. And I talked about the power of forgiveness and I watched 40 leaders in the church in the Ukraine break their hearts as they forgave. You know what I'm talking about. The situation. They forgave a nation. They forgave because of this war. I think you can find it with the Holy Spirit's help and a good friend within you to not give the devil a foothold. Because if you entertain that thought for long enough, it becomes a permanent guest in, your, in, in, the, in the house of your heart. And then it becomes part of your identity. You've heard me say this before, a thought leads to a feeling, a feeling leads to an action, an action leads to an identity. Another one, don't underestimate the course of time. You wanna be happy, then put God first. But don't underestimate the course of time. I love how many times the Bible says, as it does in verse three, in the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. We don't know how long that course of time was. But evidently something happened in the course of time that meant at this point, Cain was already comparing to Abel. He was already insecure. He was already upset and angry and offended. He was already on the edge because as we've seen already, the, the, um, it says sin is, is crouching at your door. Don't give the devil a foothold. And don't underestimate the course of time. Problem is we fill our time with things that we can't control. I got four and a half thousand weeks. It's Friday night. I'm in Frankfurt Airport. I'm flying home at 10 o'clock for my birthday on Saturday. 47 years old. Can't wait to see my beautiful family. And then that dreaded word comes up on the screen. Canceled. Oh, so frustrated. I can't believe I'm not going to get home on my birthday. I'm going to have to queue up for four hours. Got in the hotel at one o'clock in the morning. Woke up on my birthday, not next to my wife, but next to Lee Brown. <laughs> no offence, buddy. 
And I'm stomping around thinking to myself, oh, what the heck, you know, I never thought this would happen on my birthday. And then I remembered four and a half thousand weeks. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't have a pilot's license. Lufthansa are not thinking about me. I'm thinking about them, but they're not thinking about me. And I thought to myself, I'll just control what God has given me control of. And that is my heart. It's my smile. There were all sorts of people in the queue getting angry, people pushing in at the hotel, someone behind us going, why is there only one person on the desk? And I looked at Paul and I looked at Lee and we both looked at the guy and said, you're doing a great job, pal. You're doing a brilliant job. When we got to the front, we said, what's your name? He told us his name. We said, you know what? You're doing a great job. Thanks for getting us this hotel room. I know it was last minute and I know that you were probably thinking it was going to be an early shift and you're going to finish. Now you've got hundreds of people that should be on flights who are really upset. Like, I can control that. i got four and a half thousand weeks. There's nothing you can do about the traffic jam that you're in. Nothing. Might as well use some of the four and a half thousand weeks that you've got to celebrate the fact that you've got a car and if there's steam coming out the engine, and just thank God that you got some feet to walk on when you pull onto the hard shoulder. Thank God that you're not, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not in the Ukraine. The last one is don't be casual with sin. Don't be casual with sin. I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, but as I already quoted, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. My youth pastor used to say, as you've heard me say before, compromise is defeat in installments. Just, just think about this. If something goes from being a big deal to not being a big deal, then that could be a warning sign. That behavior, that language, that person used to be a big deal. So you were like, oh, no, 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 I gotta stay away from that. If now, after COVID, after this, after that, with all the excuses, if it's now, that's no big deal. There's a warning sign. Don't be casual with sin. In an attempt to be relevant or contemporary, you know, we wanna show the world that Christians aren't weird. So we're just gonna get, sort of flirt with sin a bit. Don't be casual with sin. If you want to be happy, put God first. If there's the line where sin is, this is where you live. I literally can't get any further back. There's an LED wall in the way. This is as far away from the line as I can get. And if I fall, I'm still miles away. Okay, this is no longer sin because now I'm coming back. Get that out of your mind. I want everyone to stand to the feet. I wonder if we could praise God. I wonder if we could dig deep enough in our hearts to find something that we're grateful to God for. I'm not being dismissive of your circumstances. I'm not making out like it's, it's kind of okay and you should just get over it. I'm not doing that. God cares deeply, deeply than you would ever know about the situations and circumstances of your life. But like Zoe said in her prayer at, uh, at the end of praise and worship today, if you're gonna be consumed by something, then be consumed by God. Everybody's putting something first. 
had a thought yesterday at the airport in Frankfurt. Everyone tithes. Everyone. Everyone on planet Earth tithes. What majority? Especially in the West. We're in the queue at Frankfurt Airport. There's two ladies and a man in their late 60s, early 70s in Aberdeen shirts. Aberdeen Football Club. So as we were sort of, you know, you pass people a few times because you're snaking like that in the queue. We kept passing them and we said to them, what are you doing here? He said, we've come to watch Aberdeen. Aberdeen? No offence, Sparky. I'm sure you love them. But they're in a league that they'll never win. And every year they enter competitions that they'll never get to the final of. A bit like Everton, correct. <laughs> but those three people in their late 60s and early 70s have paid money for the shirts, the flights, the hotel. They've flown to Germany to watch them. And to be fair, they drew to all in a European game. And I thought, well, everyone's tithing, aren't they? Everyone's giving 10% or more of what they don't, you know, need for, I don't know, food or whatever, food and fuel and bills. Everyone's tithing to someone. It's not that weird, really, tithing. It's just putting God first is where the enemy wants to stop you. And so he'll say, well, you need a gym membership and a personal trainer. You need a latte afterwards and a sausage roll from Greg's as a treat. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying everybody's tithing. And this isn't a message about tithing. I'm just saying putting God first, putting something first. We spend all day doing that. Wouldn't it be good if right now in the house of God, surrounded by the people of God, celebrating the presence of God, if we could actually put God first and actually make a decision that I'm gonna put God first. This isn't in my notes, so it's not gonna come up on screen, but Paul, Pastor Paul Hollingworth said to me this morning on the plane, he said, do you think happiness is a choice? And I said, yeah. Not that you just choose, I will be happy, 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 and we just live, you know, like in some kind of empty attempt. The choice is not to be happy, the choice is to make a daily decision to put him first. A day to start your day in prayer every day this week. You don't have to pray for hours, but pray this prayer, God, I'm going to put you first today. You are my best, you're my first, you're on the throne, you're in the middle, you're at the top. I dare you, I dare you to be a person of gratitude. I dare you when your heart sinks because something's happened and it will for you to say, okay, I feel that, ouch, ouch. The bank statement, ouch. The MOT, ouch. The, the, the stress at work, ouch. The, the relationship breakdown, ouch. I feel it, but let me tell you, glad Jesus is still on the throne. I'm glad that my demotion at work was not demotion for the person who runs my life because he is in charge. Gratitude. Lynn Marie, you better get up here, otherwise I'm going to sing. Come on, Audacious Church, have you got some praise in you? Have you got something in your heart that says, you know what, I'll give God a shout of praise because we're going to sing... Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. 
We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 